0: Hello, and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle, and I'm the film critic and proprietor of wwwsonic It's Oscar week this coming week. This Sunday is the Academy Awards with Chris Rock hosting, and I went over pretty much a lot of what I wanted to say in my Oscar episode a couple weeks ago, so I'm not really going to rehash that. I have seen a couple more of the nominated movies since that episode. But um, basically what I wanted to do is sort of do an updated uh, end-of-the-year episode because I never really got to do that during the holidays. It was a pretty crazy time with uh, the theater I work at getting Star Wars and just the holidays being kind of insane in general, so I didn't really get a chance to do a year-end episode like I hoped, Uh, but now that I've seen several other movies and I've gotten caught up more with some of the movies that have come out in uh, 2015, one of the things that I wanted to do was I wanted to do sort of an updated look at how I saw the movie year because of these other films i think i had seen 94 films when i did my retrospective and my print retrospective at the end of the year now it is currently up to 119 from last year some has changed in terms of favorites in terms of best some has been more solidified so basically what we want to do in this episode is just sort of talk about The highlights and the lowlights of the uh, movie year and overall I thought it was a pretty great year as we kind of expected it to be um, Marvel continued what they've been doing so well with Age of Ultron and uh, Ant-Man. I'm sorry, I still love Age of Ultron. I know a lot of people had very mixed feelings about it and completely understandable, but I still feel like Joss Whedon did a great job with his uh, sequel. And Ant-Man was a pleasant surprise. I think most people can agree with that, especially after Edgar Wright left in 2014. But you will not actually find either of those films on my top 10 best or top 10 favorite movies of uh, 2015, surprisingly enough. Looking at best and looking at favorites are very different ideas for me. For me, best, you're dealing specifically with quality. You're dealing specifically with how good is the acting, how good is the writing directing how good is the production in general and you do have instances where more where theme where subtext where the overall emotional wave of film can uh, certainly tip the scales in its favor and that was the case with some films on my top 10 list this year top 10 favorites are more just what are the movies that i enjoyed watching most this year favorites are more the subjective opinion of, oh, well, I love this movie. Well, why did I love this movie? I loved it because it resonated with me on an emotional level, first and foremost, or it excited me, or it got me interested in the subject in a way that may not have necessarily been, it may not have necessarily been the best-made movie, but was certainly something that gave me a lot to think about and gave me something to really consider as whether it was a sequel whether it was something original and it just entertained me for first and foremost so best you're mainly dealing with quality favorites you're dealing more with enjoyability and sometimes those movies are more serious than not but sometimes they're just a lot of fun there are a few movies on both of those that fit the criteria equally but there's there's actually a lot of difference in terms of the movies that would updatedly do my top 10 best and favorites uh people who've read sonic Cinema over the years know the past few years because of the fact that my theatrical movie watching and my ability to keep up with movies and theaters has gone down i've actually resisted doing true top 10 lists at the end of the year and basically do okay what movies are the ones that engage or that made a lasting impression on me those are the films that i mentioned at the end of the year they're not necessarily the greatest but they're definitely at the very least they're ones that inspired me and really entertained me in in a very profound way. Sometimes they're great films, sometimes not so much, but they always have uh, something that really lasts about them, and the movies that were on this year's list were certainly no exception. So without further ado, we're going to run down the list of my 10 best films and 10 favorite films of 2015. We'll start with the best, which are you know the 10 best uh, quality movies I've seen this year. A lot of sci-fi on there. That's not really surprising given the fact that sci-fi has kind of dominated that list all year for me. Uh, coming in at number 10 is a short science fiction movie called Parallel by Miko J. Weisler. I apologize for butchering that name if I did. Uh, it's actually one of two films of his that I was asked to review this year. The other one was a uh, short comedy-drama with uh, called Intrigue, which was entertaining in its own right, but didn't have quite the impactful tale that Parallel did, which Parallel tells the story of two scientists who discovered the secret of Parallel Universe and connecting with parallel universes on their respective sides of those universes, and they fall in love. And it's framed as a uh, grandfather or a father, I believe, uh, telling his daughter while he's in his final days about this long-lost love. And it turns out this lost love is... uh, Somebody he who he met on the other ed, end of a universe, and it's a deeply affecting. It was a really original love story. It was a really beautifully done love story. Admittedly, there's it follows a lot of conventions. It follows a lot of formulas, but it was still a really lovely film in general. And it was one of the uh, more interesting love stories I've in recent years. Uh, Coming in, number nine is Alex Garland's Acclaimed Ex Machina, which I haven't reviewed for Sonic Cinema because I saw it through Netflix. I hopefully will review it sometime in the near future, but for now, basically, we'll just have to go unreviewed for uh, my to be on my top 10 list. Uh, it's one of three movies this year that really dominated my uh, best list that deal with artificial intelligence and deal with it in very different ways. And uh, you'll see one of the films uh, later on in this list, and the other film that I was thinking of is Avengers Age of Ultron, which, usually, which uses artificial intelligence as the springboard to an action movie. But ex machina is interesting because of the fact that it deals a lot with the philosophical uh reasons behind AI and some of the more interesting intellectual paradoxes that come from AI in very much the same way that Spielberg's AI did back in two thousand one but in a way it in a way garland does uh really find new territory, find new uh, narrative intrigue in this uh, topic that has been done to death over the years when it comes to science fiction, but he he finds an interesting perspective in uh, the way he tells his story. So Ex Machina is number nine. Number eight is Pixar's Inside Out, which that that r- ranking doesn't really do justice to how absolutely brilliant and how amazing in the context of Pixar's movies that Inside Out really is. Uh, Inside Out is absolutely one of the best movies Pixar's ever made. It's such a beautiful story. It's such an original story. It's one of the most original stories they've ever done. Not, Not surprisingly, it's from the same person who, did up uh, another greatly emotional original Pixar masterpiece, and this this movie had some really poignant moments for me because of the fact that it was about the stress and the anxiety that comes from changes in dramatic changes in a person's life and. It's told in the context of a young girl who's basically upended from her life in one place to and the only life she's ever known, and she's asked to move with her parents and start a new life. And her bounce, her emotional bounce, is out of whack as a result. And it's just such a beautiful beautiful look at that type of <clears throat> of that type of moment in the life and it's applicable to anything it does it doesn't matter if you're a young a child if you're an adult if you're stressed out about a new job a new school a new environment or in in my case, I I got married this year and that came with a lot of stress, a lot of good stress, but also a lot of um stressful stress as well. So uh that that was that was a movie it was very much the right movie in the right year for me in a lot of ways. And it's just such a beautiful work of art, so richly imagined, and it's so entertaining, which is it hits every single base of what makes Pixar great, of what makes Pixar the the foremost animation house in America. I hesitate to say the world because there's a lot of people who love Studio Ghibli who would just absolutely tear me to shreds, and I'm certainly not going to do that considering the greatness of Hayao Miyazaki. But uh, Pixar, at least in American animation, uh, reigns supreme still. And Inside Out is a great example of that. Number seven is uh, Straight Out of Compton, F. Gary Gray's uh, biopic on NWA, which follows the traditional rise and fall biopic standard narrative but there's an energy and just passion of the subject that is impossible to duplicate and just really drives the that otherwise predictable narrative headlong into some of the most thrilling filmmaking i saw this year and it was so exciting and it was so powerful and it's it's one of the uh movies that people point to when the Oscar nominations came out and go, Well, where's straight out of Compton? And it's like, let's be honest, we all knew straight out of Compton probably was not gonna get nominated. That doesn't mean it didn't deserve to, though. F. Gary Gray, who's best known for the Italian job and set off and Law Abiding System and other action movies like that. I definitely had a really sharp eye for the material and managed to turn it into a great, timely film. And there's hardly, there's not really a higher compliment I can possibly give it. Number six is a short film from Nicholas Duarte, who landed on my uh, best and favorites list a couple of years ago with his three-minute short film Joke, which I still absolutely love. This time he landed on my list for a very different movie called Sea Change, which is about two sisters, one of whom has basically had to give give up her life to take care of the other sister who is suffering from a very rare and unsettling disease and they have traveled across country to to uh meet with this doctor who's promised that he'll be able to help help the one daughter and turns out that uh he he manipulated them and uh didn't really have the answers that uh, they were hoping for. And it's, it's as far... It's, it's very much a 180 from Joke. And Joke was a very surreal, very abstract look at the subjectivity of humor. Sea Change is just a very powerful narrative film about... A sister who will go to all lengths to take care of and protect her other sister, and it is the bond between the sisters that completely uh, makes makes sea change as unforgettable as Joke was, but in a very different way, in a very profound way that even some of the movies that have been nominated for Oscars this year just cannot touch. Number five is one Oscar movie. It's uh, probably the best film I saw this year of the Oscar nominees uh, for Best Picture. It is Spotlight, Tom McCarthy's movie on the uh, Boston Globe's investigative journalism into the uh, Catholic Church sexual abuses in 2001, 2002, and this movie just floored me it It really floored me it was it's a smart, insightful script, and it's just beautifully acted, beautifully directed and it's such a powerful movie It's far and away the best movie I saw of the best picture nominee it's It's a very literate and very but also very emotional movie because everybody who is Everybody who's investigating this story for the globe has skin in the game in one way or another. And to see the way that the story affects them in different ways is just absolutely remarkable. And it's credit to Tom McCarthy, the co-writer, director, and the amazing cast they put together with Michael Keaton, Mark Ruffalo, Liev Schreiber, Rachel McAdams. It's just such a great movie, and I. It's the movie I want to see win Best Picture. I think it'll at least win Best Original Screenplay. Hopefully, it will take Best Picture as well. But you know, we'll we'll see. But uh, yeah, Spotlight in my top five at number five. Number four is Star Wars: The Force Awakens, which may not seem like that big of a surprise, but it kind of is, because I I try to be I try to be as objective as I can when it comes to the Star Wars movies and especially when it came to this one. And I get that yeah, it's like a lot of people saw comparisons between a New Hope and Oh well, this is fan service. This is fan service. Yes, I see that too. But at the same time, I feel like J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan, their screenplay just did such a beautiful job at continuing the story that ended in Jedi and continuing it in the only way it really would have been acceptable. I think. And one of the things that I was worried about is like, oh well, how is Harrison Ford going to be as Han Solo? It's like, how's Carrie Fisher going to be as Leia? How's Luke going to be? It's like, I was kind of expecting them, the characters to be the same, but the thing that I give J.J. and Lawrence, Abraham, Lawrence Kazin a lot of credit for is how they realize that those characters couldn't be the same. That as we saw them at the end of Return of the Jedi. They couldn't be doing the same thing. They had to grow. They had to change. And even though we don't see Luke for only a matter of seconds, it's, you can tell that it's a very different Luke Skywalker. And from the first second we see Han Solo, we see that, he, yes, he's very much the same Han Solo, but he's also very different and the way they cast him is sort of the Obi-Wan Kenobi I Have Exposition character is uh, fantastic. And the way he plays off of Daisy Ridley and Joe John Boyega, and the way they cast all of the new characters and write all of the new characters is just beautiful. It's just wonderful. So that's why Force Awakens ends up in my number four slot. And Surprise, surprise, it's also my favorite movie of the year. Spoiler alert. Uh, but that's not really that big of a shock. Uh, number three is the best feature film I saw this year. It was Bobcat Goldthwaite's documentary, Call Me Lucky, about comedian Barry Crimmins. And it was a fascinating story. And it, was, it was the type of documentary that you feel truly blessed to be able to see because it's a documentary that you don't necessarily see coming and on the surface it's like well is this really something that's interesting to me and then the more you watch it the more it's like this is fascinating <laughs> like i'm so glad i've gotten the opportunity to watch it and that that comes completely from barry Crimmins life and just how fascinating it is and just how fascinating of a character he is. I mean he's very funny, but he's also very angry and very uh polarizing in terms of the the types of things he deals with both as a comedian as an and as an activist. And it's a fascinating glimpse at a creative person channeling their own life experience into something that benefits others and benefits the greater good, and that's one of the things that I is great, and one of the things I love about uh, certain creative minds and Barry Crimmins is definitely one that I didn't expect to love, but I absolutely love unreservedly because of Goldthwaites. Uh, movie. Number two and number one are both uh, short films that I had the opportunity to, to screen this year, and uh, they, they had unique impacts on me in their own way. Uh, number two is Jake Hutchinson's and D. A. Eric Park's Return to the Grave, which is about a marriage that has been a marriage that is on the rocks after a tragedy and the way the thing that I think strikes me most about this film is the way that Hutchinson and Deer Park use the biblical story of Adam and Eve to parallel the narrative that they've told with their husband and wife And it's really rare to find filmmakers where a very religious subtext, or not even really subtext in this case, is brought to a film, brought to a narrative, and it doesn't feel completely forced, it doesn't feel completely trite, and just bog the film down it does not do that in this film at all and that's one of the things i absolutely love about it It's it's the main thing that i absolutely love about and it's the reason it's the number two film of the year on my list uh the number one film on my of the year the best film i saw this year is heleno which is a short film by ralph suarez and it is one of the films that I mentioned earlier that deals with artificial intelligence. And it tell it, it deals with artificial intelligence in a very different way than Ex Machina and Age of Ultron do, in that it basically deals with artificial intelligence from an emotional standpoint. And the the premise of the short is basically a young woman is hired by the ter- carekeeper for a an old man's estate. She is hired to basically sit and uh, spend time with an <coughs> artificial intelligence uh, named Helena, who is basically the... Re- an incarnation of the old man's uh deceased wife and this this young woman is basically hired to uh to spend time with Helena as every day and to just keep her company because the old man has found it difficult to visit visit Helena because of the emotions that brings up in him because of the fact that here it is here it is a living embodiment of his deceased wife who is aware that the wife is deceased and is programmed to love the old man but doesn't understand why the old man is unable to see her it is unable she's unable to process that and so this woman is basically with keeping helena company it's a fascinating story of where theme and narrative and subtext just come together in one of the most wonderful ways that and return to garden share very much that in common and it's one of the reasons they're still the best they were still the best movies of the year even after all of the great films I saw after the new year. And uh, Helena, I think I saw it in either May or June, I can't remember which, but it held on to number one spot all year. And it's just such a fascinating film. It's such a beautiful film. And it's one of the more original movies I've seen this year, which is saying something, considering... Uh, movies like Anomalisa and Inside Out and Ex Machina that just completely surprised me, took me by surprise and engaged me in ways that I wasn't necessarily expecting. Those are my ten best films of the year, starting with Helena and Moving to Return to the Garden, Call Me Lucky, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Spotlight, Sea Change, Straight Out of Compton, Inside Out, Ex Machina, and Parallel. Uh, there are a lot of other great films that could have easily made that list, but didn't just because, you know, I I could go on. I mean, I could include the documentary The Wolf Pack, which was a great celebration of how powerful film can be in uh, people's lives. Have gone with a couple of other short films, The Cleaner and uh, Total Performance, which looked at uh, the human condition in very different ways, and uh, had something significant to say about about it in both of them. Anomalisa, like I mentioned, Charlie Kaufman and Duke Johnson's great uh, animated film, The Avengers: Age of Ultron, which continued the Avengers saga in a very audacious way but also one that uh followed the marvel blueprint and uh david Spaltro's uh, horror film in the dark which is one of the best horror films i've seen in recent years and it certainly is uh one that i i definitely think will stand up and hopefully it'll get uh hopefully it'll take the success that it's had on the festival circuit and uh, be able to lead to bigger things not just for the film but for the filmmakers as well they really deserve it so looking at my favorite films of 2015 you're going to hear a lot of common uh films they're i think six actually they're common with both my best and favorites Uh, Basically, starting with the top four, uh, number one is Star Wars The Force Awakens, number two, Helena, number three, Inside Out, and number four, Return to the Garden. Number five, we go with Alex Gibney's Going Clear, Scientology and the Prison of Belief, which (coughs) is a fascinating expose on the Church of Scientology. And basically... If you had a definite idea on Scientology before the movie, chances are this is only going to confirm that. If you knew a lot about Scientology and the allegations of it in terms of being a cult, uh, this is pretty much going to confirm that. But if you haven't, and even if you do, already know those things going in, it's, it's quite an experience. Alex Gibney is one of the most prolific documentary filmmakers of all time, and he definitely does a great job with this as he has in so many of his other movies. Uh, number six, Straight out of Compton number seven: Sea Change Number eight is a uh, film called Aftermath that is the english uh, as the English title and is by an a filmmaker. From Azerbaijan, called named and forgive me, uh, Tofik Raziev. I apologize, and he's he's a filmmaker who actually shared with me three films of his. Uh, one I mentioned earlier, the Cleaner, and the other one is the Girl in the Woods, and all three could not been more different, and all three were completely. Memorable experiences in their own way, but the way, the thing that Aftermath really, place where Aftermath really stuck out for me is the emotional storytelling. And it's basically about a uh, brother and sister, a grown brother and sister who have lost their parents. And the sister is able to handle it, the brother is not. And it's basically. It charts in very broad strokes their respective emotional their emotions about it, and it ends in a way that is very powerful. And the way that it looks at grief is very powerful. It's one of the things that it's admirable to see a film that doesn't really shy away from grief, that doesn't really say, "Oh, well, grief is something that can easily be." Overcome. No, that's not the case at all. The the filmmakers and the actors just do a beautiful job. And that's the one of his three movies that I I think I still uh I love the most. I loved all three of his films, but I think that's the one that I probably loved the most on a personal basis. Uh number nine is Mad Max Fury Road by George Miller. And his continuation of the Mad Max saga was such an exciting movie to watch, such an exciting movie to get to see and just experience. And it has the best score of the year by Junkie XL. And it was just such a thrilling experience and something that really stuck with me after the first time I saw it and, I've only seen it a couple of other times since then, but it's just it's a movie that really stuck in my head after I saw it. And so that's that's how it ended up in the number nine slot. Uh number ten is Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak, which is probably the quote unquote worst film on this list, but the that that's uh, sort of like saying that, you know. If you're a Joss Whedon fan, that's sort of like saying Angel was worse than Buffy. They're basically about the same, but uh, it's uh, the thing that I love about uh, Crimson Peak is it's a wonderful gothic romance, and it's just an amazing film from a technical standpoint, from a production standpoint. The sets are absolutely stunning, the costumes, the cinematography, the music. It's a great piece of horror, gothic romance filmmaking that is, and it's an epic, it's, and you feel like it's an epic film. And it's, it's one of the things that, Guillermo del Toro is somebody who, I can't say that I've loved him since the very beginning, but at the same time, ever since Pan's Labyrinth, And ever since, you know, Hellboy and all of that stuff, I've definitely very much uh, been in his camp. He's definitely somebody who climbs up, is climbing up my uh, favorite filmmakers list. And uh, so number 10 this year was Crimson Peak. I could go over the worst films of the years, but honestly, I don't really want to. There weren't too many that I saw that were just truly horrible. Uh, there were some average films, some that were, eh, they were okay, others that, eh, not so much. But I mean, the ones I like to focus on are the best ones, are the ones that really uh, got to me the most, that really engaged me the most, and just, had the most to offer, and uh, those are some of the ones that I listed above. I mean, they're that I listed before. So I think that'll be it for this episode. I am going to uh, post my written predictions for the Oscars uh, shortly after this to sort of of complement it, and uh, my top ten best and favorites are going to be, Listed off there as well. So um for Sonic Cinema, this is Brian Scuttle, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Sonic Cinema podcast. And I hope you enjoy. Thank you very much. <laughs>